Well, good morning. Man, it is so good to be with you. Our online family love having you North Campus to South Campus peeps. It's great to be here as we encourage each other to take our next life-giving steps with Jesus. And if you are new with us, I know we have a lot of people joining in, visiting at both campuses and our online family. The natural thing for you to be wondering is, do I fit with these people? I, I can answer that really quick. You ask this question. Do I have my whole life together, everything figured out, stuff like that? If you have your whole life figured out, you don't belong here. We are a people who are on a journey. It's that we are taking next steps. We like to say here, it's okay not to be okay at Beltway Park. It's just not okay to stay not okay. We are on a journey into everything Jesus has for us, walking step by step with him. And when that happens, increasingly we receive this thing called peace. But by peace, the ancients meant something different than we mean. We mean absence of conflict, absence of difficulties. The ancients meant something deeper, life in the body, life in the spirit, and wholeness, health, in the mind. And if we've discovered anything in the last year and a half, we need something that will bring peace. Come on. We need wholeness. We need health in our brains. This past week, I was remembering back to one of those events from childhood. You know, we all have those things that stick out to us. And this was one of those things for me. I was eight, maybe nine years old. And I had recently learned that I could crawl up on the roof of our house um, by using the fence. Now, I know that sounds like no big deal to you, but for a vertically challenged eight-year-old, it was a big deal to me. I thought I was conquering a mountain. Now, I go back. My folks still live in the same house. It's a small house, about 1,000 square feet. The eaves aren't very tall, nine, maybe 10 feet. The pitch of the roof is pretty small compared to the pitches today. But I'm telling you, for me, I was like on top of Mount Everest. And I would go up there, and I would just look over my kingdom as I stood there. And one day, I had this idea that I knew was just brilliant. I thought I could parachute off this roof. The physics made perfect sense to my eight-year-old brain. I was going to get a towel from the bathroom. I was going to sneak it, though that should have told my little brain that there was something wrong with my plan. But, you know, I was an eight-year-old. I was just going to grab the short ends in one hand, the other short ends in the other hand, and I was going to jump and I was going to float softly and blissfully onto the ground. I was going to land. So I went to the bathroom, I snuck out the towel, I climbed up on the roof running the towel as I did so. I got up there and I have a personality that is very decisive. Once I decide to do it, I, I'm going to do it. So I stood on the eve of the roof. I didn't take long at all. I didn't examine it. I had the plan. I knew it was going to work. I grabbed the towel and I jumped. As most of you have probably figured out by now, not because you are all that smart, but because you did the exact same thing when you were young. You know you did. I'm not the only one. You may have not used a towel as a parachute. No, 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 no. You grabbed a tarp, or maybe you went all Mary Poppins and got an umbrella or something like that, but you did the exact same thing. You know that my towel parachute did not affect my rate of descent one iota. I expected like three or four seconds before I softly hit the ground. I jumped, and before I could blink my eye, I hit. And there was a pain that started in the bottom of my foot and it shot up through the small of my back into my neck to the top of my head. Tears formed in my already very masculine eyes. And I gingerly sat down as I waited for the pain to subside. You know, when you're eight years old, nine years old, mom and dad find out about everything, right? 
you really can't hide much of anything. They found out my mama was mad. She was really mad, but she figured out I didn't have to go to the hospital on this adventure, so she got less mad, but then she saw her towel, and she got really mad after that. But my dad, who was normally the disciplinarian in our family, it was interesting, he wasn't mad. I remember my mom looked away, and he just smirked at me and shook his head like he had done the exact same thing when he was a boy. And I remember he asked me a simple question. Son, what were you thinking? It's a question I found my dad asking me a lot over the next 10 years as I moved into adulthood. And interestingly, it's a question I still get asked a lot today. But normally it's me asking myself the question. You know what I'm saying, don't you? I'll find myself being unduly harsh with my wife or someone I work with, and later on it'll hit me what I did. And I'll think, David, what were you thinking? I'll get in a situation and I have an opportunity to bless someone. I mean, I could pray with them in the moment right there. I can serve them in some way. I might be able to witness to them of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, but I'll miss the utter opportunity, not even know what's going on. And a few hours, maybe a few days later, I'll realize God was up to something. I'll go, David, what in the world were you thinking? But I bet I'm not the only one who looks at their lives and have had lots of moments like that. You know what I'm talking about. You look at your past, and you decided to hang out with some folks, and they seem like decent enough folks, but you found out pretty quick they do stupid, Right? And when you hang out with stupid, you end up doing stupid yourself because stupid is as stupid does. You can find that in the Bible. <laughs> Not really, okay? <laughs> stupid always ends up in a place of pain. And when that pain hits, you finally wake up and go, what in the world was I thinking? I bet it wasn't just in your past that you did it. I would dare say the vast majority of us, I might be, go so far as to say all of us, probably within the last month, have done something where we thought or we said out loud, what was I thinking? Now, I understand most of the time when we ask that question, we ask it because we've messed up. We have failed. We have made a mistake of some sort. But even when we are making a mistake, when we ask that question, what was I thinking, even about a mistake, we are making an assumption. The assumption is this, that my mistake, my failure, my problem is tied to my thinking. We assume that poor thinking leads to poor choices, that poor thinking leads to poor issues in my life. But if that is true, would it not mean that the inverse is just as true, that right thinking enables right choices, that good thinking empowers good things in life? Yet here is a reality. All of us ask the question, what was I thinking? Very few of us ever answer it. We think very little about our thoughts. Dive into this with me for a moment. Currently, our nation, our world, is facing probably the greatest issue our generation has ever faced. I'm not saying there were never any issues in days gone by. This weekend, we are recalling the tragedy and the heroism all tied to the 11th of September, 2001. For those of us who are a little bit older, we can remember where we were at that time. I was actually in the land of Israel. My first visit to the place there, there weren't any tourists there because they were in the middle of what's called the second intifada. They were having acts of terrorism around the nation almost every day. So when I went to Israel, I expected to be near some acts of terrorism. I just didn't expect it to happen back in my homeland. 
I can remember where I was when I got the news. I can remember what we did afterwards. I can remember on the 12th of September, today, I was actually praying at the Western Wall with a couple of other guys, and we were the only people there. Have never, ever seen it. I understand that we've had terrorism and other issues that have faced our nation, but come on, there's been nothing like this pandemic of COVID. Nothing that has affected every person as deeply and personally as possible. And as this thing has lingered longer than we wanted, longer than we imagined, we have to face a reality that is causing other issues to go along with it. It's almost like COVID is a shaking. It is shaking everything and every weakness that exists is being revealed. And the one that's most talked about, not just in churches, but literally around society, because we're all facing it, mental health. See, it was at this point in the message that I had this great plan that I was going to lay out the studies and the statistics. You know, that's what we do these days, right? We just bombard each other with studies and statistics as if those can't be manipulated and such. But it hit me. I I doubt I have to do that. Because every one of us have felt the issue personally. Worry, depression, anxiety, lack of security, absence of joy, scarcity of peace. See, I've had so many people say, Pastor David, I'm having such a struggle in my brain. I'm having so many thoughts, so many feelings. They're just coming, coming, coming. It's like my brain is a battlefield. Listen to me. It is. Your mind is a battlefield. In fact, I'll go a step further. Our mind is the battlefield. Let me show you what I mean. I want everyone to get a Bible and turn to a scripture for me. If you don't mind, if you didn't bring a Bible, you're one of our physical campuses, there's underneath your chair or the chair in front of you is a black colored Bible. That is for you to use if you have lots of Bibles at home. It's a gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have it. Um, you can turn to page 969, that's 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. If you happen to be part of our online campus right now, you can just push the Bible icon, pull up the scripture right there, Facebook, you. Um, YouTube, places like that, push pause, get your Bible, download version on your Bible, it's always, on your phone, I'm sorry, it's always great to have, and open to the 10th chapter of Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. And the reason I want you to look at it is because I don't think it's enough for us just to kind of read over it. These are verses you want to read and meditate on several times. If you have your Bible, you want to underline them. You want to get these inside of you. It's really verses that you probably want to memorize, so they're so key to what we're looking for in life. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. There is an assumption in this verse. Do you see it? The assumption is we are at war. The assumption of the verse, actually the assumption throughout the Bible, is that the world we live in is at war. There is an unseen world, there's war happening in that unseen world, and it affects the physical world that we live in. I mean, think about it. Have you ever wondered why, with all the advancements of the last hundred or so years, why does the world still have so many problems? I mean, my granddad was born in the year 1914. And I would talk to my granddad before he passed on to the Lord at the age of 99 and a half. And I would talk to him about all the things that he had seen over the course of his lifetime. Because he could remember life without automobiles. He could remember 
his family being sharecroppers in Coleman County living in a one-room house, that the snow would come in West Texas during the winter and his, he and his brothers were huddled up under a blanket and they would have snow actually covering them um, while he was there. He can remember the advent of the automobile and he can tell me about the Great Depression. He could tell me about the feelings of the nation at World War II and he could tell me about all these stages of life and things that come along. And then we had this thing called a phone come along in his late years, a smartphone. He didn't have a lot of kind words to say about the smartphone, but I won't hold that against him. I'm just saying... And we've had all these things happen just in the course of his lifetime. All these advancements in science, all these advancements in technology, all these advancements in medicine. And yet, when you look at the world, it still seems to be as problematic as it was back in 1914. In fact, in some ways, it seems to be more problematic. The world we live in is a world that is a battle. And I know some of you say, I'm not sure I agree with that. I get it, but how do you explain the world? It feels like to me that the world is like a game of whack-a-mole. You remember the old arcade game? I loved that game because I got to hit stuff. And you had the hammer and a little mole would pop its head up and you would whack it. And after you whacked that mole, what happened after that? Another mole popped up. You hit that one. The faster you hit the moles, guess what? the faster they kept popping up. And it seems like the issues of humanity are that way. We hit one, we hit another, we solve one, we solve another one. And more and more of them pop up. Human advancement has not resolved the issues of our world. Why? According to the scripture, we are a world at war. The Bible tells us there is one called the devil. We make light of in our culture. The scripture makes not light of him. Also known as Satan, the adversary, Lucifer, he was an angel, likely the chief of angels, and he led a third of the angels in a coup against God. He wanted the throne of heaven. Now, if you know anything about the reality of God, you know Satan lost. But the war from that initial battle still rages on. Jesus won the decisive battle uh, at the grave. Jesus died on the cross, and he goes into the bowels of hell itself the home turf of the enemy, and he rises victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He won the decisive battle, but yet the war still rages. See, we who are historians, we know that when the Allies invaded Normandy Beach on what we call D-Day, it was the decisive day of battle in World War II in the European theater. But even after we stormed Normandy, the war raged on till the day of victory, what is called V-Day. The day of victory will not happen in our life, so Jesus returns and finishes what he has begun. Until then, Satan and his minions still war against God. I believe they are deceived into believing they can still be victorious. And so they battle with everything they have against God by coming against those who are the subject, the object of God's supreme affections, you and I. Don't minimize this. This is why the Bible implores us. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, we do not war against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. We live in a world at war. And it's easy when this reality starts to grip us to become overwhelmed and to think we are hopeless. Before you come hopeless, you got to look at verse 4. It says, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not the weapons of the world. They're not the weapons of the flesh, but they have divine power. Somebody shout power. power. 
There's a power that you and I have to destroy strongholds. The word power in the original language is the word from which we get the word dynamite. There is an explosive, miraculous power to blow up the strongest fortifications of the enemy. Now, what are those fortifications? Verse 5. I'm telling you, you got to get verse 5 inside of you. It's key. If you want to take the journey into what God wants for our minds, verse 5 is key. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our mind is a battlefield. It is the battlefield in life. But let's be honest, most of us have thought very little about our thoughts, right? Our thoughts are just there. They just show up and they do what they want. They just happen. And we typically do the opposite of taking every thought captive. We do nothing. We're passive in regard to our thoughts. If you're in a fight... You're in a battle, and you do nothing. What is going to be the result? You're going to lack health, right? Why? Because you're getting the tar beat out of you. Why? Because I'm not even in the fight. Please listen to me. The weapons God has for, for us are powerful. They'll tear down every destructive argument. They'll destroy every damaging opinion. They will annihilate every thought that is contrary to God's best for our lives. But they do not happen passively. We must wield the weapons. We can no longer be passive. We must fight. Listen to me. If you came here with the idea that we're going to go on a journey for six weeks, I'm going to listen to a guy yell at me for six weeks. Maybe talk about it in groups and then boom, it's all just going to be magically taken care of. I hate to tell you, it's not going to happen. We're going to fight. We're going to learn weapons that you have to use. Say, so how long am I going to have to use them? Your whole life. But it gets better. It gets better. It gets better. See, what we want as Americans, we want a pill or a prayer that takes care of everything in a moment. Now, please listen to me. I am for pills if they help. So if you used them, have other people used them, if we have needs that are very extreme, sometimes we need those. Thank God for medicine that can help people in certain places in life. But you know what pills normally do? They get you to a place where you can function and go into the fight. They don't resolve the issue. They put you at a place where you can battle. You know what prayer does? Do I believe in prayer? Oh, I believe in prayer. And God will take you leaps and bounds forward, but he will never take you in totality out of the fight. We have to be those who are no longer passive. We must be those who fight. See, we have an enemy, an adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone who we, he can devour. The scripture says we must stand against him. How do we stand? Be sober-minded. Be watchful because he is out to get us. Our mind is the battlefield. And Satan's primary weapon isn't anything close to what we think it is. Jesus was talking one time about the adversary. Wasn't making light of him at all. And he told a group of people, you are of your father the devil. That's, by the way, the most politically incorrect thing I think you could tell someone. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. 
does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Satan, prim, Satan's primary weapon for, against you and I is to lie. And even right now, you're feeling a letdown. You're going to do that's it? Like you were rousing me up to go into this epic fight. This great adventure, I was starting to feel like Frodo. I was about to go after it. I was feeling like Luke Skywalker. I was ready to go. And now you're telling me what I'm going to go against are lies. Sounds so innocuous, so harmless. Decades ago, Jim Carrey did a movie that everybody loved called Liar, Liar. And it basically said you can't live a decent human life and not lie. It's an impossibility. Your temptation right now is to tune out. If you're online, just to turn off. I'm just telling you, stick with me for a moment. Think with me for a moment. In the past generations, when cyclists would engage in the Tour de France, they actually did something before they raced to help enhance their performance. You know what it was? They smoked a cigarette. I know. See, it was believed in that day that the nicotine in the cigarettes would open up the capillaries in the lungs, enabling you to take more oxygen in and thus enhancing your performance. And our natural response, North Campus, South Campus, online, we're all chuckling. We're chuckling at the absurdity of such a thought because we know about the damage cigarettes can do to your lungs. Now, I completely understand that those cyclists when they were toking their Joes before they raced, they believed they were doing something good for themselves when in fact they were doing something harmful. Isn't that interesting? A lie, even when it is believed to be true, is still just as destructive. If I ask you to describe the greatest evil of the last 100 years, almost without a fault, we would mention Adolf Hitler and the Holocaust. Have you ever wondered how it happened? The German people are beautiful people. Wonderful. They are the fountainhead of Protestantism. If you're German, you are a Christian by nationality. The Lutheran Church, the official church of the state. And yet somehow the Holocaust was birthed and allowed in a Christian nation. It, it flabbergasted us how. Well, I have visited almost every Holocaust Memorial Museum that I can find. And it's interesting, all of them, almost all of them start at the same place. The train cars. But if you go to Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, they don't start with the train cars. They actually start with World War I. You're saying, no, 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 history, Holocaust, World War II. Yeah, but they start in World War I. World War I, Germany lost there as well under the Kaiser. And there was great economic difficulty and hardship in Germany in the years after that. And in the midst of those economic hardships and difficulty, a party called the Nazis began blaming a people. They started telling lies and half-truths, saying that the Jews, they are the cause of all of Germany's ills. The Jews, they are the ones that are creating all the problem. And you go through Yad Vashem, and you go through this whole section where the Nazis branded the Jews 
I'm not talking about the physical things you're used to seeing. I'm talking about how they created a brand around the name of the Jews, lying about them and the reality of who they are. It's interesting that something that is said again and again, repeated often enough again and again in the most creative of ways, though it starts out seeming absurd, will eventually become believed. If you don't believe me, look at our nation right now. That which we consider the epitome of evil in the last 100 years started in, had its roots in, lies. The thing you and I cannot do is minimize the power of a lie. Do not do it. Don't minimize the power of a lie. Lies are the heart, the very foundation of all that is evil and destructive in life. Years ago, I ran across an interesting article from, of all places, a pop magazine called Psychology Today. The author of the article, an MD, um, no way claimed to be a Jesus follower. Um, she also said in her byline that she was a, quote, happiness expert. Now, I have no idea how one gets certified in being a happiness expert. I looked it up, can't find a certification process, all that. She might be self-described, I don't know. I just know this, that whatever the qualifications are, I tend to be a long way from that. She wrote this thing, again, not follower of Jesus. She said there are all these wonderful, capable people walking around out there who believe ridiculous things about themselves that someone else planted in their heads and hearts. I got a suspicion who that someone is. He's the enemy coming after the souls of mankind. They've believed these lies for so long that they don't question them and often never have. The lies inevitably cripple them in some way, often significantly. The scripture has been telling us this thousands of years. For as a man or a woman thinks in his or her heart, so is he or she. So as we think, so we are. So does it not surprise us that when the enemy comes after us, he comes after us in our mind? Come on, are you, are you grabbing hold of this? Are you grabbing hold of the seriousness? Of there? See, there's not a person among us right now. South Campus Online Family, North Campus, all of us, we want to have a strong mind. We want fewer anxieties. We want less depression. We want rarer and rarer moments of being overwhelmed. We hunger to believe that we are actually loved and wanted. We long to believe our lives on this earth matter. We crave to know who we really are. We yearn to be in this place of stability and security. We want to be mentally strong and healthy. Amen? It is what God wants for you. That is the desire of God for our lives. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't do things like everybody else. But be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. By the way, this never ends. It's just an ongoing process. It's like we have Jesus' hand and we're taking step after step after step with him. Do not be conformed any longer to the norm of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, somebody shout then. After what? After we renew our mind, you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Every one of us want good, pleasing, and perfect in our lives. That's what God wants. He wants us to live more and more in what is good, what is pleasing, what is perfect. And that happens as we renew our minds. And that renewal begins as we face a reality we don't want to face. 
Our mind is the battlefield. Our mind is the place of war. If we want strength of heart and mind, then we must not only fight, but we must fight with the weapons God gives to us. And that's exactly the journey we are going to go on. Step number one is just recognize you're in a battle and commit to being passive, but over the weeks to come, we are going to learn more and more of the weapons that God has for us. That's why I implore you, you gotta be a part of all six weeks. Every week, either in person or online, you need to catch hold of this. You need to be in part of a small group. So much of what God wants to do happens with other people in our lives. So if you're not part of a small group with our youth, with our college, um, with young adults, with anybody, then you can go to our website, beltway.org. There's gonna be things that slip the script. Click it. And there's going to be a way to join a group. We'll get you in a group as quickly as we can. And this is the week we start the radical. We're going to put away the social media for a little while. Turn off the TV. Oh. The radio. Off. And we're going to do this old school thing called reading. And you're going to take this book. If you don't have one, they're available in the foyers at our physical campus online family Use Amazon, another online retailer. You can get this called Winning the War for Your Mind. You're saying, David, that's too much book to read this week. You're not reading the whole book. You're reading the introduction in chapter one. That is it. That's all you're going to do. And at the end of chapter one, there's an exercise. And some of you are going, dude, you didn't tell me there were exercises in this. I know because you wouldn't have got the book. You say, you really want me to do the exercise? Yes! Why? Because it's time to fight. It's time to battle. And the exercises are just great little tools. I've already done mine. Won't take you 10 extra minutes. It's just a tool to help us begin to engage the battle. All we're going to do is start trying to recognize what's going on in our heads. As you start to do the exercise this week, which we're all going to do, I'm saying it by faith. I want you to do something. We begin the battle for our mind by praying about our thoughts. I don't want you just to think about your thoughts. I want you to pray about your thoughts. I want you to pray about your thoughts because thinking about our thoughts can be overwhelming. A study was done decades ago by a guy named Piotr Nokin. I don't have any idea if that's how you say his name. He was a student of a psychologist by the name of Ivan Pavlov. So you may have heard of the Pavlovian dog experiment, things like this. This was one of his students. Anyway, he, he did this interesting study. I'm going to say Anakin in just a reference to Star Wars there. Anakin published research demonstrating that the minimum number of, minimum number of potential thought patterns the average brain can have in a lifetime. You got that mentality? The average number of of mental thoughts that you and I can have in a lifetime, he estimated it to be one followed by 10.5 million kilometers of typewritten zeros. Now, I had to convert kilometers into miles because I'm an American. We don't do metric, okay, right? That number is one followed by 6.5 million miles of zeros. So when we start attempting to recognize the thought patterns in our brain, the potential number of thought patterns our brain can have is one followed by 6.5 million zeros. No wonder we're passive about our minds. It is overwhelming. The number of thoughts I have, can have, will have is overwhelming to me. But hear me, they are not overwhelming to God. He will show us 
exactly what we need to see at just the right time. His spirit, if we will ask, will begin highlighting strongholds in our lives. And you know what's gracious about our Father? He doesn't show you all your strongholds at once. Because you just curl up in the fetal position and be done. I know you're going to say, well, God, we dealt with this one. Yeah, but you're going to have to go deeper with it. I'll tell you about some next week that I, I keep having to go deeper and deeper and deeper. I'm like, dude, am I ever going to be finished with? And he probably chuckles. <laughs> when you get up here with me, maybe. But until then. But I'm a lot further along than I was. He's going to show you different things. And he's going to show you strongholds that are keeping us from the life that Jesus wants us to have. The Spirit's going to identify the arguments, the ideologies, the philosophies, the lies that are keeping us from strength and health in our minds. So I'm going to ask you right now what seems to be an absurd question. How many of you want to be strong in your mind? Put your hand up right now. All over. We all raise our hands. Listen to me. You got to start by engaging the fight. You got to engage the battle and be a part of it. The Spirit of God is going to show us where to wage war. And then by His power, we have divine weapons that are capable of destroying strongholds. He is going to enable us to take false thoughts, false ideologies, false philosophies, and we are going to say the name of Jesus over them, and we are going to put them under our feet. And we are going to walk in victory. And we are going to be strong in our mind. Not for a selfish thing. Because we can bring a strength to other people that need that strength. Even in the midst of a world of COVID-19. I am going to tell you that we can be strong in our mind. In fact, though I despise everything about this virus every aspect of it this is an opportunity like we may never have again because it's revealing the weaknesses and it's motivating us to the battle let us be a people who fight that question that my daddy asked me I bet he asked me that before I was 8 years old I just don't remember it and he asked me a lot it's the question I think our heavenly father is asking us Son, daughter, what are you thinking? And as we begin to identify and recognize the things that are contrary to what God's good, pleasing, and perfect is, and we take our next steps. You go, what are our next steps? You got to come back next week because we continue our journey. Right now, we just want to start recognizing. We just want to ask the Spirit of God to begin showing us. We just need to say yes to the fight. So I'm asking everybody right now, let's bow our heads for a few moments. Let's ask God to grace to fight the battle. Let's not minimize it. The scripture says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Would you just ask God for grace right now to embrace the battle? To not minimize it. Nor to overstate it. But to engage, to quit being passive. Maybe you're disappointed that you were really hopeful that we could do six sermons and read a book and it would all be finished. I think after six sermons and our groups and the book and prayer, we'll be a lot better. 
and we are going to be more equipped to continue the journey that we can be stronger and stronger just say yes Lord I'm ready to fight I will be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power I will put on the full armor of God so that I can take my stand against this devil's schemes I will recognize that the issues that I see on the news are not the real issues of life we wage war not against flesh and blood it's principalities and powers. For the weapons of our warfare are not those of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Would you ask God for grace to walk in his power in this journey, not in your own? I, I know some of us are new to the spiritual journey. You're not even sure you believe in Jesus yet. That's great. How about you start right there, just be honest with God and say, God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are real, I'd like to know. Just ask him that he, he'll show you. I trust it. All we're asking for is God to show his reality and to show his power. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Would you ask the Spirit of God over the days to come to begin showing you strongholds? That's a, that's a radical thing. You say, what am I supposed to do with the strongholds? Come back next week. We're going to talk about it. It's okay. You start seeing thought patterns, ideologies and stuff. Ask the Spirit of God to show you that. Start engaging in the battle. And ask Him for grace to start taking thoughts captive. You are not passive to your thoughts. You are not a victim to your thoughts. You and I can actually have control over what goes on in our brain. So, Father, we embrace your truth. We embrace your heart. We say, look, God, that we will no longer be passive, but that we will engage the battle. And we want you, oh God, to show us everything in our brain, every stronghold that has been created because of sin in our lives, we ask that you would show it to us. And in the days to come, would you show us how to destroy these strongholds that are wreaking havoc on our being. Make us strong in you, we ask, O oh God. Strong of mind, life in our spirit, we ask for increasing peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, South Campus, let's stand. It's good to be in God's house today, amen. Oh, come on. It was good to be here today. Amen. Man, I tell you, your worship today was encouraging. Your engagement, overwhelming. I'm telling you, you guys are awesome. I have got a, I have got a strong sense of all the Lord wants to do. We're going to have prayer partners down here. When we dismiss service, you need prayer about anything. You just want somebody to agree with you uh, about something going on in your life. We want to pray with you. Make your way down. Some specifics we felt like. Saw a picture of someone feeling like they were being swept away by a strong current. You probably have used that picture at some point, said it, why don't you come get prayer. Someone feeling as though they've been disqualified. I don't know disqualified for what, but probably have used that word. We want to pray for you. Someone needs to hear it's okay to get a second opinion. I don't know if it's about a medical thing, about a relationship, anything like that, but it's, it's okay. Again, you've been thinking about a second opinion. Someone has been convicted of sowing discord, creating disunity. You want that to change. We want you to come and get prayer for strength in that. The name Catherine is in the middle of a family hardship, 
And you know that what God's calling you to do is surrender more to him so that you can be part of the solution of that. Someone had a picture of a dartboard. I have no idea what that means. Usually that means it's something significant to you. Um, it means you're probably part of the wrong country. I don't know. They play them a lot in England, not a lot of darts in America, but that's okay. That's significant to you. Come get prayer. Someone is running away from everything. Again, someone's either told you that or you have said that recently, that I just feel like I'm running from everything. What happens is God gives us this little bit. You come and get prayer, and God begins to reveal more in the time of prayer. So I would encourage you to take advantage of it, okay? Let's put our hands out in front of us, if you don't mind, just an open hand of receiving. I bless you with the mind of Christ. If you are in Jesus, you already have his mind, but I bless you with the ability to walk more and more in the reality of that. I ask, oh God, that you would bless us and keep us your people. Make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Turn your countenance towards us and give us your peace, I ask. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, which is Hebrew for the name of Jesus the Messiah, Prince of Peace. And the people of God said... Amen, amen. God's strength and courage be with you. If you need a book, get one in the foyer. Introduction in chapter one this week, and we'll see you right back here next week. God bless you guys.